0: I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we talk to Cynthia and Jim Douthit from Grassy Creek Vineyards and Winery in State Road, North Carolina.
1: Cynthia and Jim are two of the owners at Grassy Creek. They take us through their history of the property, their love for winemaking, and all the great things you can do on their expansive property.
0: Wine Class with the Wine Mounds is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talk to us about the great Pinot Gris.
1: This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen.
0: We're here today recording virtually with Cynthia and Jim Douthit from Grassy Creek Vineyards in State Road, North Carolina. Cynthia and Jim, welcome to Cork Talk.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Yeah,
3: nice to talk to you.
1: So tell everyone who you are and what you do at Grassy Creek.
3: Wow. It's what we don't do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that could be a topic, too. Right. Well, um, I'm Cynthia and Jim that We're um, uh, part owners of Grassy Creek uh, Vineyard and Winery. We have three other partners to our team of owners, and that is uh, Lori and Daryl Rice, who were our original partners in beginning the business back in 2003. And then along the way, long story, uh, we have two other partners, which are uh, Lynn and Larry Nickham out of Winston-Salem and Peggy and Steve Clark out of Kentucky. So the four of us are the ownership. And then we have the rest of the team. We have uh, about a half a dozen staff that complement the um, between the vineyard and the tasting room and production. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Jim.
2: Well, you just introduced everybody. (laughs) I'd I'd, I'd add to the, um, and this kind of goes into the history, but Daryl and Lloyd Rice are are our original partners. Daryl and I worked for a company called Chatham. Chatham owned the land that is now Grassy Creek and Chatham was bought out by another company I had already left and started growing grapes and thinking I was going to do that as a, a career, uh, retirement sort of career. And Daryl calls and says that the new company did not want the farm. And the opportunity was there for the two of us or the four of us to um, purchase a farm. A lot of things had to happen and fall in the right places and, you know, sign in our lives away. <laughs> but we finally. Um, Daryl did it. <laughs> yeah, Daryl's amazing businessman. A partner i'm the um production and uh laborer <laughs> um, but he knew of my past and my winemaking and both of us had spent a lot of time at the farm during the textile period and entertained there and had a lot of um, memories and we didn't want to lose them and we wanted to keep it as a farm or atmosphere or look and growing grapes seemed to be the logical direction to go
3: it was early on in the yadkin, yadkin valley ABA had just been formed
2: so you started
0: early on in 2003 that was when you made the decision to to purchase is that correct
3: no plant we planted we purchased yep. in 2002 ish, and 2003 was planting okay so it was very early on
2: and the good thing about it is we um as i had said i and left textiles and had already planted some grapes down by Lake Norman, which is south of here. So we had a couple of years start on having grapes. It takes three to four years to have grapes to make wine with. And I think it takes four or five years to actually get enough age on the plants to make a quality wine. But we did have a jump. Um, had, we had 10 acres of grapes down by Lake Norman, and we started planting in 2003 here with the idea of planting 38 acres.
3: Well, well, the one thing, when, when we first started, one of the visions, in addition to having grapes and making wine, was to use all of the property and not redo the property. We had beautiful antique uh, uh, buildings that were built in the red barn Our Red Barn Tasting Room is almost 100 years old now. Uh, The Dairy Barn.
2: It uh, was the stables.
3: It was the stables. Uh, The Dairy Barn is where we make the wine. And we really wanted to use the property and let, when we would finally be able to open, let folks come and just be able to almost, not really step back in time, but take a breath away from their daily lives and just come in, relax, have a glass of wine, learn about wine but the main thing is enjoy and enjoy the outside and all that it has to offer.
0: And I will say that as soon as you make that drive down the driveway and turn off 21, you do kind of enter that, you know, I'm, I'm away from everyone. I'm kind of apart, And I, I have taken a step, a step back from kind of the, uh, the modern hustle bustle of everything. And you're really kind of at a slower pace, which is a great way to escape.
3: Wonderful. Thank you. We're glad that's.
0: So
2: of- I'll give you a brief history of the farm goes back to the Haynes hosiery and the Chatham textile families. They wanted a um, hideaway and they had bought this farm. Originally, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,000 acres, went all the way up in the mountains. So over the years, the Chatham family eventually ended up buying out, I believe, the Haynes family. And... They're the more local textile company, made their fortune in wool during World War I and II, wool clothing, wool blankets. But then they also got into automotive fabrics and residential fabrics. The textile family, like all others, started the textile business started um, getting smaller and smaller. And then there was a um, hostile takeover. That was the first time that the family lost the textile business Um, At the time, unfortunately, the farm was attached to the textile business, so they lost the farm as well. So it became part of another textile company. Then it started going. It actually got bought out a couple more times until where we came in. I think, let's see, the vineyard at that point in time was one of the few in the area. There was West Bend, you know, there was a say three or four around us Mm -hmm. um we were comparing ourselves to what was here looking at the grapes that they were growing trying to decide okay i know what we have down in troutman Troutman, that by lake norman
3: which was 10 acres of red grapes
2: what do we need um to augment that and the whole idea of having grapes in both places, you got two different, what we call microclimates. And we're anticipating different flavors coming and characters coming from the two different microclimates. And after three or four years of fermenting, say like the Merlot or the Cab Sauvignon and comparing them separately, fermenting them separately and then tasting them separately, there really wasn't that much difference. Where I thought that the lake would produce heat and and moisture, heat yes, it was a little bit warmer there, but not that much warmer, and but the moisture was more from the mountains. The uh, mountains stop the rain clouds and get a lot more moisture and and rain up here in Elkin than you do down there. So um, we picked varieties that we. Like to drink.
3: <laughs> believe, believe it or not, before we started this, we used to go to wineries and travel and, <laughs> and, and try wines.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we it's like, we had more time. Right. But yes, uh, we started getting into various different grape varieties that we didn't have down there. We had the normal Merlot, Cab Sauv, Cab Franc, uh, mostly red grapes. Movedra, <laughs> there's some red grapes we had down at Lake Norman. And Barbera. Um, And Barbera. But then we planted some of those and then extended that to, um, at the time, it was, we had Viognier, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris.
3: We have Sangiovese.
2: Sangiovese. And and Syrah.
3: Lots of Chardonnay. Yes. So that's how we, that's sort of the complement of the two vineyards is where we ended and then when, uh, with our selection. And then when we saw what we wanted to do more of, then we added to that in the Elkin Vineyard. So now we produce, um, off and on there's about a dozen wines that can be found on the wine tasting menu at any given time. Um, primarily that would be uh, our Barbera, which uh, we love, the Italian grape. And we have Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, we use most of our Merlot in some blends. Uh, we have two blends. Um, One is the Red Barn blend, which is since day one, our first vintage of 2004, is Merlot, Syrah, and Sangiovese. And then we have uh, a brand new blend that we just uh, released two weeks ago called To The Max. And it's named after our dog Max, the Labrador, who helped us plant both vineyards and lived a wonderful 15-year life at the vineyard and spa (laughs) Uh, And it is a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah. Uh, And it's been a great release so far. And let's see, so going on to that, then we have the Chardonnay. We do a couple styles, steel and barrel fermented. And we always have enjoyed a local vineyard that we uh, purchased Riesling uh, from. It's a little higher elevation, and so we have always, the last 10 years, had a Riesling on our menu. Um,
2: well, we, we, grew also, it. we grew it at first, but it it was, it's a tough grape to grow, um, and I didn't have very much protection from deer and birds, and so it was, we we're struggling to get a crop, and they were growing it better in a higher elevation with less pests, less problems with mold mildew, so we decided to go with them 100%, and um, we've been with them ever since.
3: And we do that in a dry style.
2: Yes, and the couple more things to go along with what she's saying. Our Chardonnay is I have always done Chardonnay old-world style, but also fermented on the skins. So I know there's a new thing around the world where they're calling it orange wine or something, but people have been doing uh, skin fermentation on Uh, chardonnay grapes for forever so it's not new um and i've been doing it for 40 something years uh so it's our chardonnay has a little color to it some people thinks think that if it has a little color then it's been exposed to oxygen too long and that's not true it comes from the skins um so it's a different chardonnay and we've done pretty well with it
3: It
0: definitely is one of the the bigger, bolder Chardonnays that are out there for sure.
3: Yeah, I like to say, tell our customers that it's um, a very healthy Chardonnay. (laughs) (laughs) Nutrients from the skins that uh, come in with the fermentation. Your parents
2: always said, eat that potato skin and eat that uh, apple skin. All the vitamins are there. That's right.
3: Um, So a real important part also is we we really enjoy uh, dry wines, but we also wanted to bring uh, a little bit of semi-sweet, uh, complement to our selection so we created a separate brand called Klondike Farm Wines and they are table wines and they're semi-sweet usually at the max mostly five percent residual sugar at the most um, if that much and, back in history. and that goes back tying into the farm and what the farm brought to us is continuing the legacy and continuing the legacy of a farm in operation but also in name. There's a lot of name recognition for the 3000 employees and their descendants that used to work at Chatham fabrics <laughs> and remember the dairy. So it's, it's really interesting. Uh, the table wines, we have three, one is a red blend, a white blend and, uh, a blush and they're named after the cows, the Guernsey cows on the farm. So it's been a, a fun, um, group of wines to have. And, um, and it pleases a definite uh, clientele uh, to come in and have a nice offering like that.
1: And that wine is packaged a little differently than your dry wines, right? Right, good yes, point. good yeah. point.
3: Thank you, yes. It's uh, in a what looks like a milk bottle and a glass milk bottle uh, from the days of your door-to-door delivery by the local dairy and milkman.
2: Which was Klondike Farm. Um, we have not a perfect replica replica of a milk bottle because they're hard big wide mouth you know you wouldn't want to waste that much cork and you need to some way of capping off wine unlike milk Um, so finding a uh, manufacturer of a authentic milk bottle that can be sealed like with threads you know on a cap uh, it's been daunting for us and and so work in progress. We're still looking for that optimal example of a milk bottle, but uh, we're close you and you can recognize us by that bottle.
3: And I like the uh, cow on the front. It's a. My, we were struggling at the time with how to get this done quickly because we're always behind the line with getting the label, getting the name, getting the visual, because um, there's a thousand things to do in creating a wine. And uh, one of the artists of the textile company that I worked at I asked her what she was doing at lunch, and she said, "Oh, nothing." I said, "Can you paint a cow?" And she said, "Sure." And she said, "What kind?" And I said, "I don't know. A Guernsey. Whatever that looks like." She looked it up. Anyway, it's a fun cow. I call it. Doesn't look like a Guernsey cow. It's wonderful, though. I call it our Andy Warhol cow because it was also Andy Warhol's art.
0: And that's and, a great story too. It painted right on lunch. So that's that's a perfect right. a perfect yeah, way to tie exactly. it in. Yes. Um, okay, so, so that
2: give you a hint of what uh, I'm segueing into uh, something you're probably going to want to know is our, uh, what each person brings to the table, um, experience and so forth. And Cynthia just said um, she's a designer and she's been in design all her life, um, has a lot of education in what colors and so forth do and you can see her handiwork all around the farm jim doubted myself uh, i was a gypsy my dad in the military and traveled all my life and dad was a winemaker and i made wine with him on every kind of fruit every anything that had sugar in it we made uh, you know i'm doing quotation marks wine <laughs> but uh, the uh, most experience I got I was when I went to college I fully intended to be a pharmacist a lot of chemistry and life changes and that didn't work out and went into textiles was in New England fell in with the Portuguese there and made wine with um, three other mobile winemakers we go from place to place helping everybody and learned a lot from them however they're not worried about longevity of the wine they're gonna drink it from year to year it doesn't matter they make just enough to make it to the next season so and they write nothing down they have no recipes and stuff and so when i came back south and we decided to get into grapes or winemaking i did um sign up at surrey community college and start taking some classes there so that's my history chemistry helps a lot um if you want to be a winemaker um and then our your- other partner one of our other partners is Larry Nickham he's a doctor and his wife happens to be a lab tech and then she signed up and graduated from UC Davis California online and a brought win, a wine degree a wine degree yeah, sorry mm-hmm. and brought a lot to the table I'm a make the wine taste it adjust it based on taste, she's a numbers, data, as you've been hearing on the news everywhere, data, 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 <laughs> um, and it does, it helps, and it helps you make the right decision. You know, your your, your uh, history and your expertise of all the years behind you doesn't solve every problem. You, it sure does look, help to know that it's off balance for a particular reason, and here it is, and then you know what to do.
3: Yeah, Lynn started as the cellar rat working with Jim, got her degree and now 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 we need another cellar rat.
2: She's <laughs> needing to make a lot of wine. So I basically say she's new world and I'm old world and mesh we try to mesh those two things together.
0: It seems to work out fairly well though.
2: I think so. Yes. We've both grown. <laughs> you know, I've had to uh, push some of the you know, we need to do a lot more of this tasting we need to do a lot more uh um, remembering how things are as it's going along teaching her you know then she would say well also we need to get this machine where we can take and do volatile acidity and do all these other tests and i said well okay yeah let's do that so it has been a good partnership
3: and that kind of brings up something about our style of winemaking
2: Well, let me, before you I left one partner out, Um, Steve Peggy. Steve runs a business in California. I mean, sorry. (laughs) Kentucky. Kentucky. And uh, he feels guilty. He's a long ways away. He can't help very much, but he takes off every single Labor Labor Day. Day and comes for a week. And some of his family usually comes with him. They come out here and they spend a week or two. Picking grapes every year—that's his contribution. Besides money. <laughs> uh, that's,
1: well, that's in a very important part of the winemaking process—is uh,
2: right. getting those grapes yeah. picked. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you were head. what just where? saying.
3: Into you were talking about the winemaking style that that you know the, it's more old world style. Everything oh, yeah. we do is very hands on. Um,
2: yeah. There. There's lots of easier ways to handle grapes and and process and and to get the fermentation going. I t- was taught, you know, to crush the grapes and put them in some kind of container and then uh, make sure. They that the gases can get out and the fermentation and process without any hindrance or it'll stop. And so the way we make wine is just like the old days, we have two or three homemade paddles with long sticks. We climb up a ladder and we punch the skins down two or three times a day until you come in one day and the skins are not on the surface no longer. They're starting to sink. You know it's getting close to being finished fermentation at that point, and that's when you start going into moving the juice in the stem in the, in the uh, skins to a press and pressing them and um, and starting to get the numbers to decide how you want to proceed but um, I use very little equipment to, to like pump over and pump it from this tank to that tank I'm, I'm constantly trying to stay um, low to no chemicals all you know I can't say I'm organic because there are times that you come it, it, it will come to a, You're invaded by Japanese beetles. Right. (laughs) You got to do something, you know, or some other catastrophe is heading your way. You need a little more power than what organic people will let you have in order to be classified as organic. But we, my mindset is organic. And so the least amount of chemicals I can use in both in the vineyard and in the wine processing, the better I think, and then more natural that and, wine's going to taste,
3: and less movement of the wine through filters, filtering, and all of that.
2: Yeah, and if I don't, if I don't have to filter, I'm not going to filter. Um, I usually will filter white wines that are going to go into a clear bottle because that's that's your,
3: your got to do that. You
2: know, you can see every little, yeah, uh, true. Pulp or I don't want to. There's no seeds, but some kind of. Product of the grape could easily be seen through a clear glass, so we filter those. But I try to get away from filtering reds and, and any, anything in a darker bottle. Um, but anyway, that's all old well, world we mentality. Yeah,
3: you know, we don't heavy leak.
2: You know, I never use a sterile filter. So that the, the head, there's various grades of filter from very severe, you know, hard to push the wine through, to open and gets the bulk out and not some of the fine nuances. When you get to the very fine filter, you can taste it before and after, and it's very much different. And also the colors, you're taking color out every time you run it through those really dense filters. Um, And I don't think the wine's natural. It's not what God gave us, you know, out there in the vineyard. So uh, I don't want to mess up what comes naturally.
0: So this is actually a really good time for us to take a quick little break. Uh, and okay. then when we come back, we will, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the property and working in the vineyard and we'll kind of see where the conversation takes us from there.
2: Okay. All right.
0: It's time again for wine class with the wine mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back.
1: Thank you. So the last time we talked about Vignet, so what variety are we going to discuss today?
4: Today we're talking about Pinot Gris. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so Pinot Gris actually can go by two different names depending on its origin. So Pinot Gris is what it would be referred to in French, and it is a French grape um, that's part of the Pinot family from the Burgundy region. And it's a pinkish-gray mutation of Pinot Noir, actually. So Mm. Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Blanc are all mutations of the same variety, which has been confirmed by DNA testing. But yeah, so gris in French means gray, so talking about the color of the, s- the grape's skin. But across the border in Italy, it's going to be known as Pinot Grigio. So the grape's the same, but the wines are produced differently. And we actually had the Italians to thank for its popularity, recognition, and fame, but it's grown here in North Carolina as well. And pr- <laughs> in North Carolina it would be pronounced Pinot Gris <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Pinot
5: Grigio. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. Sounds accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's fun when it's in different locations that aren't France or Italy because you can just pick whatever name you want to call it. <laughs> so in the vineyard, Pinot Gris does pretty well. A lot of times some of the finest Pinot Gris you'll find come from cooler vineyard locations. Pinot Gris is naturally pretty low in acid, the great. So tricky in warmer areas because You know, the grape can lack acid. And so warmer areas kind of prevent you from keeping a lot of acid. So you could just end up with a little bit of a flabby, super high alcohol wine, which some people may want, but the best ones come from cool areas. It can be grown in North Carolina, and there's a lot of vineyards in North Carolina that grow it. It can be a little tricky and susceptible to some of the different mildews. The cluster of grapes is a little bit tight, so some of the mildew can get into the grape clusters easier than some of the other varietals. But all in all, it grows pretty well in North Carolina.
1: So the French do it. Of course, it's Pinot Gris. The Italians, it's Pinot Grigio. But I think we mentioned the styles in which they're made or different depending on which pronunciation you're using?
5: Um, sure. So taking the grape into the winery, um, let me start with the Pinot Grigio because it's kind of the crisp version where it's kind of in the winery treated, you know, like a white wine, quick, stainless steel, acidic, crisp wine. And that's often the Pinot Grigio kind of style. That's what became famous, you know, a lot of the grocery store Pinot Grigio that you'll see that style. A lot of times the Pinot Gris style can be a little more full-bodied, have a little more complexity to it, maybe not done as quickly, though it is a fine line. I feel like there's not any rules for the stylistic differences, so somebody could call it what they wanted to. There's no sort of regulations right. or anything on, on which one you use, but Pinot Gris is mostly done dry. Usually there's no oak aging, not to say that you can't, but usually it's not, and there's also some different things with Pinot Gris. It's used in Champagne. It can also be used to make orange wine, the new, the new trend. Orange wine is basically where you let a white wine sit on its skins for a little while. And I think the orange kind of came from the Pinot Gris because the skins of a of Pinot Gris grape are that pinkish gray color that Jessica mentioned. And so when you let it sit, it kind of does turn an orangey color instead of pink like a red grape would. Yeah, we actually got to,
4: we kind of accidentally made our own orange wine oh a few years back. We were invited to come pick some of the extras in the, in the vineyard from Hayes Gray, and so we got some Viognier and Pinot, and we, based on how we processed it, it was an orange wine. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sent my husband down to the basement to get some, put it in the fridge so we can try it, because it's... I think it's been two years at least. So it's pushing its upper limits of drinkability, I would imagine at this point.
1: Well, do report back on that adventure.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that will be my thing for open that bottle night. (laughs) (laughs) Which I will be celebrating in my home tonight.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we have cases of it. So (laughs) maybe open that case night. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So let's talk a little bit about Food and Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio. So what recommendations do you have there?
4: All right. So there's obviously going to be lots of variables to account for based on what kind of Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio you've got. Um, but in general, you're going to be pretty safe selecting or pairing with fish, shellfish, like roasted chicken or pork. Also, anything that has a fruit element to it, also like uh, something with lemon, orange, peaches, or apricots, or something that, would would work really nicely and bring out some of those fruity notes in the wine. I was thinking back to a recipe that I made with roasted chicken and citrus. I said I think I used roasted chicken with grapefruit and oranges and fennel. So kind of a callback to our viognier. Yeah segment on the last episode but i think that would work really well with something like that i also recently made an asparagus risotto That was just like embarrassingly full of butter and unexpected (laughs) cheddar from Trader Joe's. I don't know if you're familiar with that cheese. It is so good. It is good. So yeah, it was probably more butter than anyone should eat in their lifetime (laughs) with all that cheddar cheese and asparagus. And that was pretty amazing on its own. And I wish that I had had a North Carolina (laughs) Pinot Gris or Grigio to go with it. Um, So I'm going to have to remake that and try and let you know.
1: Excellent.
4: Yeah. How about you guys? You know,
1: it's probably it's going to sound the same because it is hot day. I think it pairs well with a hot day. Um, yeah, but but I do like the, you know, having it with seafood, your recommendations on the citrus or fruit with it. I think that that's a good good um, recommendation.
0: What else? So I will say in the fall time, I make this harvest galette, which is a uh, oh, yeah. delicata squash caramelized onion ricotta cheese and kind of like an open face pie that you kind of wrap the pie dough over it. And that oh, goes oh. really nice with a, a a Pinot Gris that's a little bit fuller in body because that roasted squash kind of pairs off of that yeah, nice fruitiness. Yeah,
1: definitely goes well with it. Yeah. Thank yeah. oh, goodness.
0: But other than that, it's just a good casual wine.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think it doesn't get enough credit that it deserves.
4: <laughs> I know. I feel like it's a it's a good gateway wine in a sense, like. I feel like it's many people's first entry point into wine. And so I think in that sense, at least in my mind, maybe maybe you guys can agree or disagree, but I feel like it sort of gets a bad rap or underappreciated because of that. Because it's, I don't
0: know. I would I would agree. It's one of those that people go into and then they start branching out for other stuff and usually never yeah. go back to. But revisit Pinot Gris. Revisit Pinot Grigio. Yeah. It's worth it.
1: Yeah, we're not Absolutely. talking about the... Uh, three dollar bottle that you get at the grocery store. We're talking about really good
0: And not that proud. gallon right. not the gallon jug that you can walk around right. with either. Right. So. right.
1: <laughs> I mean if that's what you're into, okay, but French out. Do do something a little bit a yeah. little higher in
5: things. So. I feel like I started there. Just keep going. Everyone <laughs> Everyone has
0: to <laughs> Well, now, I will also say, though, normally, I think one time you had asked us about, do we like cooking with wine? I think it was last season. And typically the answer is no, but I will actually cook with Pinot Grigio. And there's actually one uh, cauliflower recipe that I do that I basically braise cauliflower in Pinot Grigio and a lot of butter and some either chicken stock or vegetable stock. And it just does really, really well. And it the, the flavors kind of meld together nicely and there's really good seasonings to it. So it is also a good cooking wine. And I think mainly because it is widely available, it's out there and it's just kind of easy and approachable.
1: And that also means yeah. that with the with the pinot grigio that he's cooking with, that there's a a little glass of welcome wine to welcome us into dinner. Besides the dinner one. <laughs>
4: little treat of course. on those days. I think I was making some recipe that called for white wine and I don't even remember what it was, but I opened up a tiny, one of those mini bottles that came in my Aldi wine calendar the Christmas before that mm-hmm. I had to drink and i have been saving. Anyway, so I used the amount that was needed for the recipe and I was saving the rest and I was gonna have like basically a shot glass equivalent amount of wine Later, and my husband wouldn't you know it found that in the fridge and drank it, and I was so mad. <laughs> he's like, I've had this one nice thing Dude, <laughs> it for me.
0: So, any parting words on Pinot Gris?
4: Open a bottle and and save some for us to share.
0: <laughs> please, please That's do. You drink it. Excellent. Well, once again, this has been a great time, Jesse and Jessica. Thank you again, as always.
5: Thank you, thank you for having
0: You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, WineMouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram, at Wine That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. All right, and we are back with Cynthia and Jim. So earlier, we talked a little bit about uh, all the property and how there's a lot of land there. So take a few minutes to tell us a little bit more about Uh, how big the property is, and how many grapes you have on the property itself.
2: Okay. So we when we purchased the property, there was approximately, well, a little over 400 acres. I'm not going to be exact on these numbers, but a little over 400 acres. And we had to sell off a little bit a house here and 50 acres and the house there and 20, you know, that kind of thing. we, um, We weren't rich in deep pockets. So we had to have some financing to help us get this all done. Bottom line is we ended up with about 250 acres, which includes um, what Cynthia said earlier, the uh, tasting rooms and oh, a stables and the wineries and a milking dairy barn. And we have another barn on the property. Then we have log cabins that were um, there for entertaining and parties and the family back in the 1920s um so the vineyard originally was 30 acres and intentions were to um, double that within five years and
3: uh-huh. yeah yeah
2: <laughs> um so we planted the 30 acres and we were going to put a fence around we we're going to do this and that and money starts um restriction starts coming and we find out that it's a lot more expensive than we thought and um so we tried to uh keep the birds and deer from eating all our product at the same time keep 30 acres alive. You ha- every year you have uh, a loss of some percentage, one, two, three percent, from various different things that happen in your vineyard, mostly uh, weather related. Uh, but some disease could get you. you know, if a disease gets you, it it could be a lot more drastic than a weather. Problem. Uh, lightning hit one of our metal posts and took out one whole row. Oh, wow. Right. You know, so it's just things like that can happen.
3: Freezes, sure. uh, a continuous freeze, of, I don't know, eight years ago or so, we cracked open all the Pinot Gris. So we ended up ripping, rather than replacing, we ripped that whole section out. Yeah. So now we're down to about how many acres, Jim?
2: We're, I have actually taken up a couple of varieties and we probably will replant them but not at the same like a pinot gris that we mentioned earlier we're not going to grow that anymore and the grenache is gone i don't know it's, it's a long story that a farmer told me what we did wrong uh, basically there was a forest there and um, a forest that has uh, black walnuts and black walnuts have sap that hit in the soil and it keeps the competition away. So we, what we should have done is plow up the field for two or three years before we ever planted the grapevine. That was kind of the sum.
3: That was just one section of
2: it. <laughs> oh, wow. um, mm-hmm. So things you learn and I was not a farmer. So, you know, uh, it was interesting to find out, but it was a little too late. <laughs> um, we're down not- to about 20 acres right now, the vineyard down and we are getting older, the all, Four partners are getting older and we're getting uh, less uh, (laughs) aggressive at wanting to work. (laughs) Um, The vineyard down in Troutman, it was a 35 to 40 mile uh, away trip. So I was constantly loading a tractor on a trailer and going down there and cutting the grass or or, um, checking on the vineyard watering. fertilizing and then coming back up and then going back down to harvest haul the grapes back up you know so transportation that time and, and effort just didn't seem worth it and we gave up that vineyard the whole 10 acres um, down in Troutman no longer uh, is being well, I actually, it's some other farmers are using it now and they're growing things for the farmer's market, which is good. And using them my like trellises to hold up their plants. <laughs> and, the
3: whole, and the irrigation system is perfect. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so <clears throat> to answer the question, the other thing on the property is we have uh, two lakes, uh, a large lake behind the cabins and then a smaller pond that's out by the vineyard. And the rest is um, – Woods, uh, and so that I think that's pretty perfect, much sums up. Well, that. that's
3: a perfect intro into the whole Elkin Valley trails. And we were sitting on the Mountain to Sea Trail, and and so we have a wonderful trail system that connects us to other places within our our local area of Elkin.
2: Yeah, we were approached by the Mountain to Sea Trail um, people that uh, convinced us that we need to let them go through our property. And then we end up, it's been a blessing to us. Um, I don't know, and I don't wanna use, say this, but um, even the COVID has not been a hard time for us because we have a lot of outdoor uh, room and we're a country uh, type farm. We could put all our people outside. So we now have tables all over the field and uh, we do trays and people take off to various different tables and keep their separation um, the wine business has actually um, improved since everybody has been staying um, home. Staying home. Yeah. So the where was I headed with that?
3: Well, we were talking about the um, Elkin Valley trails. Trail, yeah. And how important that is uh, for. And what I like to say is, we have a very active vineyard and winery. You can come. You can sit out in the field, play cornhole. You can go on a two mile hike, come back. You can just go sit down at the creek and sit on the bridge and walk down and let your dog run in and picnic. So it's a very active place. Um, Family, friends, dog friendly, um, on a leash. Um, Just a real casual family lifestyle
2: winter time we had fire pits going and heating things and that so that didn't slow us down so we've done really well um the last couple years has has been um telling us maybe we didn't make a wrong decision going into this business um it's a very it's a it's a hard working um you have it's glorious to look at your vines and have a glass of wine and some cheese and sit out there and look at, you know, late evening when the sun's going down, it's beautiful. But, man, it took you a lot of work to get to that point. It makes you appreciate
3: all along the way what so many farmers have done all their lives. Uh, the farming is the hardest part of the whole business. Grape sure.
2: vines are susceptible to all sorts of maladies. And um, there's been a lot of science in the last 50 years that's helped us to grow vines that are created in other countries and make them adapt to our climate, and our soils. Um, there's grafting going on. There's all sorts of things going on that the scientists have helped. Uh, but you can't stop uh, hail damage. You can't stop uh, a spring, summer, and then a three-night freeze. after The vines have come out for, you know, and you've got... Green leaves everywhere, and the three-night freeze rolls them up and turns them brown. And it's heartbreaking when things like that happen. Farming is the hardest part of the wine industry.
3: And the other thing, just um, just things that we've learned, um, you can't predict anything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
3: mean, you can have the best laid plans, but it's probably not going to happen that way. But that's the way life is also.
2: So That's you true. Have be, you have to be ready to... Roll with the punches and and make changes as the year goes on.
3: Um, You know, in the tasting room, it can be pouring down rain and you'd get a huge crowd that day. It could be pouring down rain another time and there's three people. So, you know, the sun's shining and it's gorgeous and everybody's there. The sun's shining and it's gorgeous and nobody's there. It's just there's, you know, (laughs) no rhyme or reason to any part of the business.
2: That's funny. The thing is, um, (laughs) North Carolina. I think, has a future. Um, we are starting to win. We, as winemakers across the state, are starting to win some um, prestigious awards and some international awards and starting to make our name for ourselves. We're, we're no longer who those people there on the other coast, that East Coast, what they're trying to make wine. Well, they know us now. So um, we're competition to them now. You know, we're still a budding industry and we're still learning about the um, way to keep our grapes uh, going and get the best quality grapes out of our soil and our climate, uh, we will probably forever keep doing that. But um, I think being on the East Coast gives us opportunities to maybe come up with some things. Um, I'm not talking Muscadine and you know. I'm talking varietal <laughs> wines that have different uh, nuances and flavors that the California coast doesn't have. So I think there's a, there's a place for us. And I think there's a future for us. Uh, It's a matter of who's going to hang in there and stay through the hard times. I tell people that come in and want to talk about going into the business. I tell them uh, you're getting in the business for the next generation or the generation after that. It's not your generation. That's going (laughs) to, unless you're, a big time millionaire anyway. And then this is fun and the tax write off, you know, that's one way. The other way is you're building something to leave, you know, some something for somebody else to take. Cuz by the time you're old, you've got the bills paid for, you've got the tractors, you've got the wells, you've got the all the infrastructure laid out and it's going and it's paid for and the next generation can come in and build on it.
3: And then there's the whole side that the whole NC State, uh, the North Carolina, everyone, just like you all, uh, oh, what you're doing. And there's the so much going into making North Carolina wine become a nationally and internationally recognized region. And we're very appreciative of that because it, it does take it takes everyone. It takes all the marketers. It takes all the ag people. It, it takes it all. So
2: And we have in North Carolina, a great group of people. They're, you know, um, helpful to each other. Yeah, I don't think there's one winery that will snob some other wineries. Ask for help. You know, right. we will um, do whatever we can to help them if they're in hard times. Um, so we're
3: or something happens. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: and we get comments after comments about how nice um the north carolina you know the tasting rooms the people inside the tasting rooms uh, you know and you know i don't don't know how where you say it came from just our upbringing i guess but uh, we get those kind of comments constantly well we like to work together we like people
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a good thing well speaking of working together let's talk a little bit about the surrey wineries organization and you guys are active actively a part of that and what it does for uh, the wine industry in Surrey and Wilkes Counties.
2: Okay. Surrey Wineries came about, um, shoot it, almost 2003 or four, somewhere in there, maybe five. five. Um, There was a few of us got together, and (laughs) I'm going to say we got together to eat at a restaurant after closing hours and drink (laughs) wine and talk about the the industry and uh, what problems we had and what future things we were going to do turned into a um, group that wanted to get together and actually help each other in ways like we talked about putting our purchasing power together and order a trailer load of bottles instead of a UPS truck, you know, because it's a whole lot cheaper. And mm. um, putting together our group as in advertising. And then we decided we start doing some, a little mini festivals ourselves and started.
3: Then we came up with the, uh, winter
2: passport. Winter passport has been a blessing for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, we did that because we realized that, uh, the winter months were, were a little bit hard to, um, sell wine and get people to come out. So we did the passport and did early sales and people came to, uh, our wineries and took advantage of some of the things the passport gives.
3: And that was back in the days when the whole Yakin Valley wasn't as well visited and wasn't quite as big. There weren't quite as many wineries. So we were trying to just push traffic uh, to come to the area. Some people
2: say, what are you you worried about competition? No, we're not. Bring the competition on because all that does is bring more wine drinkers. Um, Right. There is no reason for us to be um, concerned about competition at all more the merrier the the other thing is that um we did for a while i guess it's about three years we did five k's and we kind of fell off on that but we were running races at various different uh, vineyards
3: series of them and
2: um we were laying out the the 5k race and we actually had it uh, published and uh, on the tv uh once and it was going pretty good i don't know it just um, – what happened is everybody else started getting on that bandwagon. And, yeah. well, I mean, there were
3: 5Ks everywhere, right, yeah. in every, you know, charity organization. Um, we um, But we have about 13 – we have 13 members now. Mm-hmm. Um, wineries. Wineries. Mm-hmm. And part of Surrey Wineries. And we meet monthly, and we've been doing Zoom, and now we're this time about – Month, meet, we meet monthly, and we're about to have our first in-person meeting in a few days. Exciting. Yeah, we yeah, look we, forward to see each other.
2: We um, meet at one of our wineries, and then we rotate it all the way around. So everybody um, is the host.
3: And sure. you can take advantage of learning what that winery's wines are like so that when guests are at our winery, at our tasting room, mm-hmm. and they say, oh, well, you like a muvedra? oh, well, you might want to go over to
2: Carolina you know, Heritage, say, or right you want to- Know, we travel around and and have those meetings, each one of their wineries. But, and the one of the rules is, is well, we bring leftover (laughs) bottles from our tasting room um, to the meeting. And then, but we get to drink their wine and sample their wines, uh, the host. And uh, that's what uh, Cynthia was saying, it allows us to be better better educated on you know who has what
0: and that's a great thing too because too often we hear from people who are in the business or in the industry it's very difficult to get out because when you're open the others are open and when you're closed probably the others are closed too so this is a great way to really share not only the like the the purchasing power and kind of collaboration but to like you said get out there and taste what everyone else is doing
3: speaking of that we just expanded our days we're now open Wednesdays through Mondays, so we're closed Tuesday. Um, So now we're even more tied down. (laughs) (laughs) we're having people come. So we we uh, thought it might be a good idea to try for summer. Oh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of uh, you know tasting wines as well, so what would you say has been your favorite wine that you've ever produced or or you currently have right now?
3: Do I have to pick one?
0: (laughs) Yes, you have to pick your favorite child.
3: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, Well, okay, so my favorite wine that we've ever made was our 2015 Cabernet Franc. And we have just recently sold out of that. And so I am very, very sad for it to go. But I have some bottles I put away. (laughs) 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 away, But it was a a smaller uh, vintage than we've had uh, and right now we won't have one for a while, so it's a it's going to be a memory. And we have people coming in all the time saying, "I came to pick up a bottle of the Cab Franc, and they're they're like me, kind of sad." But I have a second favorite, and that's the twenty seventeen Barbera.
2: Uh-oh. I go by bridal, mm-hmm. um, and we have one the blend. We didn't tell you how that that was that oh, was pretty unique
3: from a from a from a memory and everything about it the First red barn blend we ever made. It, it was, is awesome. a favorite just because of how it was created.
2: And it was creating, created in this red barn, which was a stables. And it was still dirt floor and stalls along one wall. And the best sanitary conditions you can possibly have. <laughs> you know, I'm in there trying to make wine and the, we didn't have a lot of volume of any one particular grape, So I created Um, or we created various different blends and we invited friends, some wine snobs, some not so much, uh, and then some beer drinkers and some people that had no uh, wine experience at all. And that's what we were looking for, a diverse set of palates. And uh, we did the wine test tasting and the one blend that they most liked, the majority of them is what we went with. And that was the Red Barn blend and we've had it ever since, and it's been almost the number one seller every Every year. Mm -hmm. It looks like something's gonna knock them out, but it doesn't, it always comes up to the top. Um, But so you can get by on a nasty floor, be careful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So we're kind of winding down on our questions here. Uh, This has been a really great conversation. What is something that you want your customers to know when they come to visit?
2: Well, I think my wife said it uh, fairly well just uh, earlier on. Uh, We want people to come to our farm and bring your dog, bring your tennis shoes. You know, don't um, we want to hear their comments. Good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. Um, Come and bring your blanket, throw it out on the grass, you know, use the chairs and tables we have outside. But come and be relaxed. We like everybody. There's no uh, whether it's by a fire or coming and just under a you know uh, umbrella, get out of the sun or hiking the trails and having something to drink after the hike. Um, Everybody's welcome. There, we want them to come and feel as they're part of our family. Family.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. We like to have a family atmosphere and and. We want them to know that we enjoy making wine and we enjoy seeing them and sky's the limit. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. And we have a nice, good family that's helped us all through the years.
1: That's important. So uh, maybe tell folks how to find you both physically and virtually um, Mm -hmm. so that they can come visit. Okay.
3: Well, we are open um, six days a week, Wednesday through Monday. Um, We have a website, which is www.grassycreekvineyard.com. We are on social media and post all of our events, which we have quite a few of often live music and food events on uh, Facebook. Um, We also are on Instagram and on Facebook. We're grassy creek winery on Instagram. We're grassy creek vineyard. Uh, Follow us in both places. We really enjoy posting and letting everyone know what we're doing. We're located in uh, a little wide spot called State Road, North Carolina, but it is on the north side of Elkin, North Carolina, which is the heart of the Yadkin Valley. Um, Part of our property is even in Elkin. Uh, We're just right off Interstate 77 and um, just about two miles once you get off the um, interstate.
2: Good
1: job. And well, folks can you. just follow the directional signs. And yep. it's it's an easy drive from Charlotte, from the triad, and even from the triangle. So go visit and see Jim, Cynthia, and all the fine folks at Grassy Creek.
2: Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Well, Cynthia and Jim, we really appreciate this conversation. This has been great. Uh, we've learned a lot here. I know that I always go into these trying to think of something that I'm going to learn, and there's been a lot here. So really appreciate all of the uh, all of the hard work, all the effort, and everything that you guys do.
3: Thank you. Well, we enjoy seeing you, and we appreciate what you're doing, for sure, uh, spreading the word about North Carolina Wine and all the folks that you're meeting and enjoying wine from.
2: When we said that we really appreciate all the... Um, people that are helping the industry you are just you know right there you're one of them
1: well, we look forward to getting back soon absolutely
2: okay. great right.
0: that's it for this episode of Quirk Talk thanks again to Cynthia and Jim we highly recommend you plan a visit and take advantage of everything that they have to offer there's something for everyone
1: if you like this episode be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review it helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can
2: improve.
0: Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You'll find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk.
1: And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NCWineGuys. Until next time, and remember, Cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Home Talk is a free LLC production.
0: This episode was made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.